Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Good to be back, by the way. I took a little bit of time off, needed to recharge my batteries. I'm feeling ready to dive into <clears throat> another pile of heresy. Uh, we, we've uh, fitted out the Aletheia, and we're heading out to sail the heresies. Little pirate joke. A anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Today, what we're going to be doing is looking at a classic example of eisegesis. Uh, this is, uh, we, you could say this is narcissistic eisegesis, which we, narcissegesis. But eisegesis is when you read things into the biblical text that just are not there. We're going to be heading to the channel of Jeremy Nelson. Uh, Jeremy and Miranda Nelson are the ones supposedly stewarding the fire and glory outpouring out there in San Diego. Uh, there may be fire involved at the end of the world, but uh, there's no glory here. And this is not a right handling of God's word, even close to it. Nothing even remotely assembling, uh, resembling that. And all that being said, uh, let me kind of make this note before we uh, whirl up the desktop. And that is, is that you'll know we get a lot of requests. And, and unfortunately, there's just no way that we could cover everybody that is suggested for us to cover. But that's, that's just not possible. So when we hold somebody up like Greg Hendricks out, and we say, this is an example of twisting God's word, and this is the way in which it's being twisted. The idea here is, is that he then stands as like an example that you can then apply to your local false teacher, right? Uh, the, if the person you suspect is not handling God's word, and this will give you the critical thinking skills so that you can identify whether or not this person is rightly handling God's word or whether he's twisting God's word. So, so that's that's kind of the idea. It's really not about Greg Hendricks. It's really about the method in which he's twisting the scriptures and as a result of it, not rightly handling it and not teaching Christ and him crucified for our sins. The text he's going to be preaching from is John chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is an amazing text. In fact, we'll, we'll see that along the way. But he's going to be, he's going to gut this of its proper meaning and like miss the whole point of this text and show that he's not qualified to be preaching anywhere and teaching anybody's God's word. He doesn't know how to rightly handle it. So all that being said, let's whirl up the desktop. And uh, that's a photograph I took in Arizona a couple years ago. I I'm not too keen on the color of the sky, although that golden color, it's filled with smoke from California wildfires. So, but I do like the the way the, the shadows work, and this, this is really kind of neat. Anyway, <clears throat> I, I digress. Let's pull this up. All right, so here is Greg Hendricks. This is uh, Jeremy Nelson's YouTube channel, The Fire and Glory Outpouring. The name of the message is Get Out of Your Grave Clothes. <laughs> and before this is over, we're going to be off in the, into the land of absurdity. La, 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 land of absurdity. It's just going to be nuts. So... <clears throat> Buckle up, to put on the proper safety gear. Here we go. Hey, do me a favor. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this word with you. Again, you felt like the Lord wanted me to share this word with you. See, when somebody says something like that, you know there's a problem. Okay, so, so let, let me just ask you a question. Did not God, the Holy Spirit, inspire the Apostle John to write the Gospel of John, including chapter 11 for us? 
Yeah, absolutely. God, the Holy Spirit inspired it. Since pastors are to preach the word and they're required to preach the whole counsel of the word of God, not just get a piecemeal at the parts they like, um, then um, wouldn't it just, well, couldn't you just sit there and go, wait a second, God wills for us to hear this account, right? If, and the answer is yes, of course. God wants us to hear the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So when he says, I felt like the Lord wanted me to preach this message to you, no, he's not talking about rightly handling what this text says and what it really means. Instead, he has concocted his own unique, unique uh, interpretation, his own spin on this text and this message that mere mortals like I, who rely on grammar and the original languages and and good biblical scholarship and commentaries, I, I mean, a mere mortal like I, I, I couldn't possibly come up with a message like this because I just don't operate in the anointing. It, that's that's really what's going on here. Let's continue. And I preached this word maybe twice. Um, in, in two different settings, but I believe it's a word in season for right now. And, and we're going to talk about a, a supernatural encounter that Jesus had. A supernatural encounter. Supernatural encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it did to the people around, and more importantly, what the supernatural miracle did, it's, a, it's actually a prophetic metaphor for what's going on modern day, modern time. Prophetic metaphor. So uh, we're not going to engage in exegesis here. Rightly handling God's word and then helping somebody to understand the proper sense, the true sense of the text. No, no, no. We're just going to turn it into a prophetic metaphor. What is that? All right. <clears throat> Can't do that. In our city, in your cities that are tuning in online, your country, wherever you may be at, all over the world, I believe this is a word in season for you. John chapter 11, say amen if you're with me. No, I'm not with amen, you. Amen. Because I hear. No, no. Here's the thing. I want you to learn something today that will transform you for tomorrow. You do. Wow, that's awful generous of you. You're gonna learn something today, young, young, young ladies, that will transform you today. That you can do something even greater tomorrow in the name of Jesus. I can do something greater because this message will transform me. Okay. That's the whole purpose. For all of you who gather online, that's all the whole purpose that we come together as believers, that we would be transformed from our meeting together as a family, that we would go and we would change the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That people. Uh, we're not called to change the world. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. The, the Great Commission isn't about making a difference or changing the world. So we, we got some problems here. We would come to know that Jesus is Lord. And here's the thing, maybe this word today, you know, I don't know if it's necessary for me, but I got news for you. Sometimes when you feel like the word isn't for you, it's usually for the people that you connected to. So you're listening not only for yourself. How can a biblical text rightly handled not be for me? Yeah, you, you see, the, the, this, this is part of the mythology in evangelicalism and the charismatic movement. This is weird. Self, you may be listening for someone that you're connected to, so don't ever tune out someone who speaks. Oh, that don't necessarily apply to me because at that point, you got to get past a, a biblical text rightly handled applies to everyone. Ask the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I to the holy trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you're in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you think past yourself, you think past your own scenario. So, whatever the case may be, think not only to receive for yourself, but receive for the people that you are connected to. Okay, John chapter 11. We're going to look at an amazing, amazing miracle, okay? 
All right. Yeah, and it is an amazing miracle. Um, this Jesus, is the, it's the death of Lazarus. We read this passage all the time, but we're going to see something. We, we read it all the time. It's just all the time. It just happens all the time. That's super beautiful in this whole passage. And if you want to give a title to this message, the title of the message is Come Out of Your Grave Clothes. Uh. <laughs> uh. I feel like I have heretical asthma. What on earth? <laughs> uh, sorry, it went down into my stomach. Uh, what? Get out of your grave. I'm not in grave clothes. This is, this is a grave situation. I just, oh, man, I'm not sure what to make of this. So already we're off to a bad start. Now, let's front load this with a little biblical teachings, shall we? And I'm going to start. I'm going to actually uh, put a link to this article in the description of this video. So if you if you want a good, like concise kind of look at reading the signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John, this is a good uh, article put out by Modern Reformation a few years back. And we're going to know <clears throat> scholars may quibble about this, but the idea is, is that in the Gospel of John, uh, historically the church has, has thought that the, the, uh, the Gospel of John has seven miraculous signs recorded in them, and they all have a purpose. In fact, let me uh, pull this up, and we'll note that in the Gospel of John, John makes it clear what the purpose of those signs are. All right, so John says in the Gospel of John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus did many other signs, okay? These were to validate who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Uh, when, I, when I teach the basics of Christianity to people, um, we talk about God's word. I believe that this is the thesis statement for the entire Bible, that the entire scripture is written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And so coming back then to the article, this is an article that talks about the fact that, you know, it talks about what was the purpose of signs in the Old Testament. That's an important thing. And then you'll note that, uh, that there are seven signs given in the Gospel of John. Turning of the water into wine, that's the first sign. Healing of the nobleman's son, second sign. Healing of the lame man, third sign. Feeding of the multitude, that's the fourth. Healing of the blind man, healing of the raising of Lazarus. Seventh is the resurrection, right? Seven signs. There's, there's, a, there's a method. There's, a, there's an outline. There's a reason why these gospel texts were written in the way they were. And the Gospel of John has seven prominent signs specifically for the purpose that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So yeah, this is a this is a, what I would consider a good kind of catechetical study, you know, a, a basic understanding. How are we to understand the Gospel of John and its purpose? All right. So we'll put a link to that down below, and then you'll note he's not off to a good start. The name of his message is "Get Out of Your Grave Clothes." <sighs> so let's take a look at the actual story, shall we? 
Here's what it says. So now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with her ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So note here, this is for the what? The purpose of the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through what happens next. Now it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't make haste to leave. He put his sandals up and just hung out for another couple of days where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day and does not stumble because he sees the light of this world, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awake him. Now, a little bit of a note here. We know that this means that Lazarus is now dead. Don't overlook this fact, that Christ in describing death for a believer, okay, it's described not in terms of death, it's described in terms of falling asleep. Now, this doesn't mean we engage in soul sleep. Scripture is clear. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the idea then is is that we as Christians, we have a very different experience of death altogether. And so, yeah, our bodies sleep in their grave while we await the resurrection. Our spirit is with Christ. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And when, when Christ returns, he brings us back with him and reunites us in the resurrection. So note here, when Jesus talks about sleep, this is a common way for Christians to talk about death, because if you're sleeping, you're not dead. You're going to wake up. That's an important point, and it's true because Jesus is going to make that point a little bit later here. So the disciples said to him, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Again, son of God glorified purpose of the miracle so that you will believe. So let us go to him. Now, Thomas, he kind of overcooks his piety a little bit here. He says, so Thomas, Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's also go so that we may die with him. He was allegorizing and he misses the whole point. He, Lazarus is legitimately stone cold, rotting corpse, dead. Okay. Like his body is decomposing and has a foul odor, dead right? So now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. True. This is true. All right. But watch what she says. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, that's faith in Jesus. Is she, does she really believe that if Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, that he would? It sounds like it, right? So Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. And Martha said, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then here comes like one of the first big theological punches. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Christians have been dying for 2,000 years. What's Jesus getting at here? Christians don't experience death. Anyone who is a baptized, penitent believer in Jesus Christ, they're already dead. They've been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. They're already dead. They will never die. They will not see and taste death, right? So she said, well, well, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That That's true. Now, Mary is a little more despondent than Martha. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was, and here's where your pastor needs to know the Greek, and not just to do a Strong's concordance lookup. He needs to actually read the text, okay? Jesus was deeply moved, all right? And the Greek verb here is embromaomai. And this one is interesting. So if you're translating this from the Koine Greek into English, this one's a little bit of a, of, of, of a stumbler because you're trying to figure out who Jesus is angry with. Embermaomai, here's what it means. Insist on something to sternly warn, to warn sternly, to feel strongly about something deeply moved. But you're going to note here to scold, to censure. This is a negative feeling. Jesus is, can I use the word? He's ticked. And the question is, who's he ticked at? That's the important bit. So it says he was deeply moved, deeply moved in an angry way. Angry. He was deeply moved in a spirit and greatly troubled. Now the question is, who's he angry at? Is he angry at, at, at Mary? Uh-uh. No. He's angry at the destruction that sin has wrought on his good creation and the devastation it causes in people. That's really what he's upset about, the consequences the, the, uh, as sin has played out in, in its destructive force, right? There's, there's Mary weeping, Jesus seeing her weeping, and he's angry, and he's about to do something about it, okay? So he was deeply moved, embramaomai, in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? It's as if Jesus is taking his sleeves and saying, "All right, let's 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 go get let's go get death. Let's go let's go undo what's going on here." He's going to flex here. He's going to flex on death and flex on the devil, right? So they said, "Well, Lord, come and see." 
And then Jesus himself wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, embramaomai, deeply moved, angry, okay, came to the tomb. Jesus is marching up there. I'm going to go and I'm going to take take death and I'm just going to punch death in the face and I'm going to reach my hand down his death's throat and I'm going to grab Lazarus and I'm going to yank him out. That That's kind of the idea here. It's like Popeye after he's eaten his spinach. That's really the, the, the nuance of Ember Ma'amai. So he came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And now you know since what embromaomai means, the, you, there's, there's some authority to this. And Jesus is, is uh, like I said, he's here to flex, right? So Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be, uh, there will be an odor. He, he's been dead for four days. He stinketh. So Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. As if somehow he was a prisoner who he just rescued. Right. That's the point. Okay. And if you knew how to read the Greek, you could see it clearly. And I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say Greg Hendricks doesn't know Greek. He just, I'm just going to say, all right? And then you're going to note here that after all of this, okay, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the resurrection and the life, right? Anyone who believes in him will never die, Jesus said. So here's what happens next, that uh, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. So this sign that Jesus performed. Again, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. And by believing, you might have life in his name. Uh, that, uh, that Seeing this, uh, they believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered the council together and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, say what? Okay, everyone will believe in him. That's the point, right? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of the one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So he did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only but also to gather into the children of God those who are scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put Jesus to death. And in chapter 12, and in chapter 12, it even says that they were going to kill <laughs> they were gonna they were gonna kill Lazarus. How dare you be raised from the dead? You go back to where you came from. So <laughs> all right, so there's your text. And again, the, the whole point is what Christ said. I am the resurrection 
and the life. And of course, all of this shows that he has mastery over death. And this is all pointing to the big one where Christ is crucified. And on the third day, he rises from the grave victorious over death itself, right? And he is alive to this day. And all who call on him, all who believe in him, who trust in his good works done for them by him on the cross, he, he died for your sins and my sins. He took our iniquity upon ourselves so that we can be pardoned and forgiven and redeemed and clothed in his righteousness and given salvation as a gift. That's the whole point, right? Anyone who believes in him will never die ever. All who believe in him have eternal life. These things are written so that you may believe. Do you get the whole point? Good. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the text rightly handled. Now let's go. Hang on a second here. I need to stretch. Okay. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. We're going in. We're going in. We're going in. Here, right, here we go. There's a lot of people walking around in your lifetime. They have grave clothes on and they don't even know it. They walking around in spiritual grave clothes. And we're gonna talk about what those spiritual grave clothes look like. In this case, Lazarus was already dead and he actually was wrapped up in his grave clothes. He had bandages around him. But today, my goal and my heart, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that your eyes will be awakened so that when you go outside these doors, or if you're online and you go outside of your communities, that you would have eyes to see spiritual grave clothes that people are walking around. You can free them in the name of Jesus. That would be a really weird conversation. So there I am at the local grocery store, right? You know, you know, maybe my wife has sent me to go pick up a, a few items, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, dude, I, I see somebody down aisle six. <sighs> Run up to him. Dude, I, I feel like in the spirit, God has told me that you have spiritual grave clothes. I, I need to prophetically act over you so that we can free you from those spiritual grave clothes, dude. That's not why the Gospel of John was written. You can raise them up from the dead in the name of Jesus. I can't raise anybody from the dead. Christ is the one who does that. That you can prophesy over their future that they will be healed and set free. In <laughs> None of this has anything to do with John 11. In the name of Jesus. The name that is above all names. Come on, somebody. If you believe, if you believe and you want that for your life, come on, give them a shout of praise in here. I'm excited. I think this is a good word. I really, really do. Okay. So, so, so Jesus shows up on the scene and everybody's crying and everybody's wailing. Verse 28 of John. Okay. As soon as he had heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were there, who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly. Did you notice that he skips like the whole setup for this account? Okay, when, when you tell a joke, right? All right, you, you start with the setup, you know, and then you got a little bit more details that kind of sets the hook, right? And then you've got the punchline. You know, when, you, when you tell a joke that has a story to it, you got to tell the story correctly, otherwise people don't get the punchline. Who starts in verse 28 in, in, in accounting of what Christ did in John 11? Only people who are going to twist the word. So when somebody parachutes into a narrative and ignores the whole setup, sure sign that you got somebody 
who is not rightly handling God's word, nor are they interested in doing so. And went out, followed, followed her, saying she's going to the tomb to weep from there. Stop right there. Okay, so she's anticipating Jesus come up, and she's running. She's running to be comforted by the Messiah. Take heed here. This is a prophetic word for what the generation is of now. Uh, this is a prophetic word, okay. They're actually running for an encounter with God. What? They're running for an encounter with God. How do you figure that? How, how do you get that they are running for an encounter with God? Let, let me come back to this text. All right. So if we take a look at this text, right, it tells us why Mary went to go see Jesus. All right. So remember, Martha talks to Jesus first. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she, that's Mary, uh, went, uh, sorry, Martha, went to and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So the reason why Mary goes out to see Jesus is not because she was going out to look for an encounter. She was going out because Martha, her sister, said, Jesus is calling for you. How, how, did, how did he miss that? How, how, I don't know how he missed it. That's, let me back this up. Here we go. There, stop right there. Okay, so she's anticipating Jesus come up. And she no, she's not anticipating Jesus coming up. She was told by her sister, Jesus is calling for you. She's running. She's running to be comforted by the Messiah. Take heed here. This is a prophetic word for what the generation is of now. They're actually running for an encounter with God. No, they're not. You just made that up and stuck it into the text. This is eisegesis, reading something into the text that's not there. And what you read into it is contradicted by the actual text itself. The reason why Mary went out to see Jesus is because Martha said to her, Jesus is calling you. They're looking for encounter with God. No, they're not. Because when you carry the spirit of God in your life and you come into the atmosphere, people will naturally come up like, yo, what? What? What you are saying has nothing at all to do with this text. You just made this up. What do you, what do you got? Wait, what you carrying? Yo, man, can you tell me? Check this out. I was at the football game. This was uh, last week. And there was this kid came up to me. He was on the other side of, I was down in the sports arena in San Diego. We have a thing here called the sports arena. It's this big old building. I mean, down, I'm in there. This dude comes from the other side of the arena. He walks straight up to me and he goes, yo, bro, man, I can feel your energy from the other side of the room. This sounds like a made-up account. Totally made up. And guys like this who are Bible twisters in the charismatic and NAR, they, they make these stories up all the time. Nowhere in Scripture we told that because we have the Holy Spirit, people are going to go, dude, what's that energy, man? It's a lie. And this has nothing at all to do, nothing whatsoever to do with John chapter 11. And he goes, what is that? I said, well, that's the Holy Spirit, brother. His name is Jesus. And he got, and, and that's what you're sensing. He was like, oh, well, uh, I don't know anything about that, bro. But all I know is your energy. See, see what, what he didn't understand is that when the Spirit of God is emanating out of you, people are naturally drawn to that. Why? Because they're created in his image. Scripture says that we are enemies of God. Because of our fall into sin, we're at war with God and hostile towards him. 
when you host the presence of God and the power of God is emanating out of your life, it doesn't make you special. It makes him special. Uh, the humble brag, but this has nothing to do with John 11. It's not a at all a legitimate point from this text. They're like, yo, bro, I don't know what you got. Or sister, I don't know what you got. There's something that you have that I don't have. What is that energy? Oh, that's called the Holy Ghost. That's called the Holy Ghost. That's called the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? And now you get a chance to witness about your faith. Mary was running to Jesus. One, because she was sad, but two, she knew my healer's here. Didn't you read the fact that Jesus was calling for her? My, my, brother, my brother's dead, but I know if I get close to him that I, I at least can be comforted, right? Again, the text says Jesus called her. So Jesus shows up. Let me, let's, let's continue the scripture, okay? So, so, so Jesus keeps going. And, and, and in verse 31, it says, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary arose up quickly, went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Stop right there. What does that tell you? She's hurt. She's in pain. That's a prophetic sign for the generation right now. What? What? She's mourning. She's grieving. Her brother is dead. I'm dying, but nobody's paying attention to me. They're getting it through music. They're getting it through social media. They're listening to these things. The next generation. What on earth? It's like he's using the Bible, just like word association, and then whatever comes to his mind is whatever he thinks the point is, rather than actually paying attention to the text itself and letting it tell you what the point is. Generation like, yo, it's okay for me to die young and die early. The spirit of suicide is infiltrating our next generation. The what? mythology that it's okay to die early because oh you die early man you could be like this person you could be like this entertainer or this rapper or whatever the case may be no 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 no. you don't want to die early you want to live long for prosperous in the name of jesus you want to live long and prosperous and so they came and they're weeping and they're crying and and and, and they pour out their heart and, and and she's hurt but what jesus did jesus did right her brother's dead say he didn't immediately come in well i can actually heal him you know he, he didn't come like that he actually had compassion so the first thing you want to do to have spiritual eyes. <laughs> By the way, we should show compassion and empathy for people when they're grieving and they're mourning or they're having a time of difficulty. This is true. But what is he doing here? For people with grave clothes on is have compassion for the person in the moment. Have compassion. <laughs> so when you run across somebody with spiritual grave clothes on, by the way, Mary didn't have spiritual grave clothes on. Sometimes having compassion for somebody is simply just listening to them and not giving them a spiritual answer right away. It's not just, okay, God's going to heal you, God's going to fix you right away. We know that's the case, but maybe God is saying, you know what, I just want you to just listen to them. Hear them out. See where they're at. Talk to them. Talk, tell me a little bit more about that. Those are amazing questions to ask. Or God may just say, hey, you know what, I want you to sit there and I want you to cry with them. Jesus didn't say nothing. He sat there and he wept with him. Look what it goes on to say. Check this out. This is the best part, right? One of the best parts. <laughs> this is probably the greatest scripture that most people can remember. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Yeah. The shortest verse in the Bible. Yeah. Jesus wept. 
Okay, so for some of you on here who's having a hard time remembering the Bible, okay, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. There you go. There's your seminary teaching for tonight right there, okay? Notice he takes a swipe at people who've actually been to seminary. I bet you he hasn't. But look what it goes on to say. Then, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? Notice that his crying allowed others to see that we have a God of compassion. So if God is compassionate towards someone or a situation, how much more compassionate should we be towards people who are in their scenarios? Whether they're young people, old people, or I should say young people, or young adults, classic adults. Okay, classic, my classic adults in here. That's me, I'm a classic adult. You know, all my people online, classic adult, or vintage adults. <laughs> yeah, keep digging that hole, dude. Vintage adults, okay. Vintage, okay, okay. Well, my point is this, he You have a point? And they, and they responded, and him weeping put a response in the people around him like, yo, see how God loved this person? When you take the time to spend with people in their scenario, in their situation, there's an anointing that comes on your life. What? <laughs> what passage says that? Hang on a second here. Let's, I just got to hear this again. I love this person. When you take the time. Yeah, when I take the time. To spend with people. To spend with people. When I take the time to spend with people. In their scenario. In their scenario. In their situation. In their situation, yeah. There's an anointing that comes on your life. That is totally made up. Where in scripture does it say that an anointing comes on my life when I am showing compassion to a person in their scenario? By the way, anointing. That word anointing. And if this were Koine Greek, that word would be Christos, right? When people preach like this and talk about the anointing that comes on you, they turn you into little Christos, little Christoi. That makes you a pseudo Christoi, a false Christ. This has nothing to do with this text at all. Nothing. There's a grace that comes on your life that your friends be like, yo, that person is spiritual, but more importantly, they're a human being. I can relate to this person because they see me for where I'm at. God is trying to show us how we minister in the moment, okay? No, he's not. This isn't about us ministering at all. This is about Christ. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ, and by believing in him, you might have life in his name. Okay, but look what it goes on to say. I love how it keeps going. In verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? So now people are like questioning, man, this guy could have did it, okay? So, but look what happens. This is, this is where we pick up the teaching right here, okay? In verse 38, then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone, everybody say a stone. A stone. Laid against it. Then Jesus said, take away the stone. Everybody say, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, everybody say, if you would believe. If you would believe. That's right. Believe who? Believe what? You would see, okay? You would see the glory of God. Right, because Christ, this is all about glorifying Jesus. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. 
But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they, everybody say they, that they may believe that you sent me. Right, the whole point. Jesus is going to perform this miracle so that they would believe that the Father sent Jesus. This text is about Christ, not about you. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud, a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Everybody say, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Everybody say, grave clothes. Why do you have me repeating this stuff? And his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, loose him, let him go. Right, loose him and unbind him. Jesus had just rescued him from death. Remember, Jesus was embramaomai. He was ticked. Everybody say that with me. Say, loose him, let him go. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, loose him, let him go. Okay, so let me break this down for you right here, okay? We see a, an amazing miracle. You see a dead man being raised from the dead. And it's a witness to everybody in here. But notice the compassion before the miracle happened. God is saying when you move in miracle signs and wonders, the first thing to allow the anointing to flow through you is have the eyes of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. I don't move in miracle signs and wonders. What are you talking about? This isn't a text about me operating in miracle signs and wonders. This is about Jesus performing a sign so that we might believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. Have the heart of Jesus in the midst of the scenario. Have compassion on the miracle. Have compassion. Have, have compassion on the miracle. You can't operate in the anointing unless you have compassion on the miracle. Uh-huh. People online, people that are tuning in, have compassion first before the miracle is performed. Because when you have compassion... Yeah, well, see, when you perform the miracle, if you don't show compassion first, you probably won't even be able to perform the miracle. It says, none of this is biblical. None of this has anything to do with John 11. This guy is an egregious twister of God's word. He has no clue what the Bible even means when it's staring him in the face. It's obvious that he's twisting ta this text and, and like completely oblivious to the very things he just read. Compassion for people, it gives you the anointing, it gives you the power, it gives you the stamina to continually move in the things of the Spirit because your heart is postured towards God and towards people. And if you believe that's a good word, why don't you give him some praise in this place? No, that's a terrible word. It has nothing to do with this text. Now, I'm going to fast forward here because this is all just gobbledygook. And he, he ends his sermon with what I call the litany of the grave clothes. And um, he's asked a fellow, one of the stagehands, to actually come and bind him up. So let, let, let's watch this. That they may believe in him. Not they may believe in you or me, but they, everybody say they, may believe in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. Well, I'm glad you made that point. That they may believe in him. That's the reason why we do what we do. So that... That's why the reason why we do those miracles. They can do. believe in him. So that... See, yeah, it's all about you doing miracles, signs, and wonders. No, it's not. When we go and loose and let them go, they can believe in him. <sighs> Story of Lazarus is not some kind of a template for miracles, signs, and wonders that we're supposed to perform. Because obedience, when you're obedient to God, it increases our capacity of growth in Christ Jesus. Obedience increases the path of freedom for people around you. No biblical text says that when either. you're obedient. To God, when you're obedient to what He's called you to do. Well, why don't you start with the Ten Commandments and then let me know how obedient you are. So, so, so let, let me let me give you an example, okay? Come on up here, Simon. So I got a little, I got a little, I got a little something for you, okay? This may be bring that up here, bring that up here. Check this out, okay? So, so there's a lot of people rolling around, 
and they got these grave clothes. Thank you, my man. <laughs> a lot of people rolling around out there with, with grave clothes. And, and you loosen this up right here, okay? And, and, and they're walking around, and they kind of look like this. Come on up here. Start, start, start hitting me up, okay? So, so <laughs> they're walking around, and you see them every day, every single day. I had to give you this analogy because I feel like there's an anointing on this word. You see them. <laughs> no, there is not, it, unless it's the, like, foolish anointing. Every single day. And they're walking around. And, 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 they're, and, 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 hey, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Oh, everything good. Oh, everything good. But they can't even move their feet. They got spiritual grave clothes on. <laughs> oh, this is painful. And, and, and you're like, well, 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 hey, can you give me a, a, a dance of praise? Can we just praise the Lord together? Well, I, you know what? I can't really do that because I got to go, go here. I can't, I can't make it. Or, or you know what? Hey, hey man, won't you, won't you, won't you just, let's just bow down and give God praise. Well, I can't really bend over. Why? Because they got spiritual grave clothes on. And you know what? I don't like what's going on. And I don't like this president. And I don't like this leader. And it's just more grave clothes getting added to you. More grave clothes. Okay? You get the point. You get what's going on. And the more we complain. He's having a grave clothes wardrobe malfunction complain, here. As opposed to the more we start praising, it's just more grave clothes. It's more grave clothes. What is this? What is this? Well, you don't have this concept of me. And, and I don't understand. And you don't like this person. More grave clothes. And next thing you know, you walking around just like this, and you don't even know it. And God said, hey, I want you to lift your hands and praise me. I, I can't lift my hands because I'm too upset with what's going on around me that I'm not looking up before me because I got these grave clothes on. And you're wearing these grave clothes. And there's people around you that look just like this in the spirit. And God is saying, I want you to come with a prophetic word from the Lord. When Saul, Saul looked like this by the time of the end of his reign, before he got into kingship, he was free. And the Bible said, <laughs> where does it mention King Saul's grave clothes? That he came before the prophets and he was prophesying because he was one with God. But then what does any of this mean? Oh, no. I, I might be walking around with spiritual grave clothes. I, I need a spiritual grave clo clothes detector. You know, I, I, I can you give me some litmus test that I can use to find out whether or not I suffer from spiritual grave clothes? Who will unloose me from these? Help, help. And he started feeling himself. He started worrying about David and what David was going to be before him. More grave clothes. He, was, he started to look like this by the end of his reign. <laughs> goodness and there's a lot of people that are looking like this right around you right now really they wearing spiritual grave clothes well I, I need to hire the kid from the sixth sense to see if we can find those spiritual grave clothes on people uh, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the color red you get what i'm talking about no follow me online N uh, no and there's people that are walking, hey 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 do a dance of praise i can't i can't even bend my knees because i got these spiritual grave clothes on or God is saying, I want you to go on your school campus. I got news for you. Some of your teachers are walking around with these spiritual grave clothes on. Oh, gasp. What a, what a, what a blight on humanity. And they're just waiting for somebody. And God says, out of the mouth of babes, they will praise me. You can be just as powerful enough to come with the, the word of the Lord as a young daughter, as a young man of the king, and break off them grave clothes. And people walking around, I want you to give a shout of praise. I can't give a shout of praise. Because I, I, I'm upset. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, this twisting of God's word is upsetting indeed. I can't go on with this. I mean, what on earth? That has nothing to do with the raising of Lazarus from the dead and Jesus being the resurrection and the life and anyone who believes in him never dying. I, 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 we can't help this fellow. That's, it's, it's beyond help. Pray for him, indeed. And pray for the people who are being deceived by this man, by Jeremy Nelson, by Miranda Nelson, and the false teachers that are put on parade at the so-called fire and glory outpouring out there in San Diego. Yeah, you get the point. So if you found this helpful, all the information on how you can share the video is down below. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.